Hey there, and welcome to Fantasy for the Ages, the show where father and son sit down and talk about some fantasy books. I'm the son of that equation, Zach. And I'm the father, Jim. Nice to see you with us again here today, or to have you listening to us if you can't see us. We're available One, here on YouTube, but also both. in audio podcasts. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. How you doing, Dad? I'll tell you in a moment. <gasps> just finish my comment. If you are watching us, you get to see we look a little different today. We're just trying out this format instead of the big version where you just see our big talking heads. You get to see more living space. You get to see our whole gestures and all of that. So give us some feedback. You like this better and our pretty background. Or if you want to see just more of the talking heads, let ah. us know. We'll go either way. All right. So. Zachary, you asked, how am I doing today? Yes, I would love to hear how my dad's doing. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm glad to be here because we were barely here today. <laughs> we're recording on a Friday evening, early evening, my time, mid-evening, Zach's time. Mm -hmm. And this is actually the third recording we've done together this week. I was on vacation earlier in the week. And trying to catch up on having been gone on vacation for a couple of weeks and wanting to keep our production hitting our deadlines coming out like you guys are used to hearing and listening and seeing. Well, yesterday when I returned to work, I had over 400 emails waiting for me to go through. And mm. I've been on vacation before. I can leave. It's never blown up like this. There was so much that actually needed my attention was time sensitive that I worked until 10 o'clock last night. Yeah. I'm just sitting here spinning my wheels going, what could have happened? <laughs> just stuff got busy of like half the things I had to respond to happened in like the first two days of my vacation. So they've been sitting there for two weeks. I need to get back to these people. And some of it even had relevance to stuff I was now doing today. So so I was going to do my notes for this episode mm -hmm. yesterday evening. That I did, did not, not happen. I did not. Then I had a meeting most of the day today, followed by another meeting later in the afternoon, which I got done with just half an hour ago. So what I did was I got up at 530 this morning and started working on my notes until it was time to stop and make breakfast and then go to work. And then after my meeting half an hour ago, I got back to the notes and finished five minutes ago. <laughs> I made a shocked face when you started that sentence. And then I remembered that you wake up at 530 in the morning to go walk most mornings. I do. So I sacrificed my exercise for our content today. But you didn't get up any differently than you normally do. You just shifted what you do in the day. That's true. Although since I've been on vacation, I wasn't getting up at 530 every morning. So this is the mm. first morning in two and a half weeks that I actually got up at 530. And I mean, but this either way, to me, that's stinking early. I get up at like, <laughs> I guess like six, but it's still stinking early to be up it at 530. But it's such good content to spend time in that I, I really enjoyed the time. But... There was a part of me at 10 o'clock last night going, you know, maybe I should just tell Zach, let's let's put this <laughs> off a few days. Screw it. But no, I wanted to do this. So I'm glad I did. I'm glad I'm done. So I'm here. I'm happy. Zach, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Yesterday was pretty rough. I got hit with a pretty bad migraine. So bad. Uh, I got off work and then proceeded to 
try to sleep in my car in my parking lot for like 45 minutes so that my head was good enough to drive. Yeah. It was not. So Rachel picked me up yeah. and drove me to work again this morning. Okay. Okay. Today I'm much better. Still not wearing the glasses. That has more to do with the fact that I drove with my prescription sunglasses on. And then when I got home, I haven't put on other glasses. So I went, eh, it's fine. I don't need to be able to see. Vision. It's overrated. Yeah. (laughs) But you're feeling better today and all is good. It is. Do you have any plans? We have a holiday weekend ahead of us now. We have a couple weird plans. And partially, you mentioned vision is overrated. One of those plans is actually going and getting an eye exam. Nice. So along with it, I'm likely to get new glasses. So while you might not see me wearing any right now, the next time you see me, I might have different glasses. I don't know. And proud dad, you have your own vision care. I do. Yes, you're an independent man. Love it. I also was going to get a haircut today, but then realized if I walked in to get a haircut, it'd be within like 15 minutes of them closing. And I'm not that guy. I'm not going to do that to them. That feels mean and rude. Nor do you want them to do a rush job because they've got weekend plans. Exactly. Granted, I accidentally have done that once before, and it was one of the best haircuts I've ever received. (laughs) But I'm not looking to do it intentionally. So when I realize it, it's like, no, 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 I can wait till tomorrow. It's okay. Oh, very good. What are you drinking today, Zach? I saw you already had something. I do. Just plain and simple. Uh, I was going to make like a rum and coke and then realized the rum is not at my place. Why is all the rum gone? Instead, The rum is gone! I have vodka at my place. So it's coke and vodka rather than rum and coke. Vodka and coke. Yeah, not many people order that. But I'm sure it's fine. It's basically just Coke with alcohol, so it's fine. Pretty much. Yeah, vodka doesn't exactly add much flavor to it. Not really. So I had intended to get back into creating Wattails for this episode. I assume you didn't come up with one in five minutes. Nope. So (laughs) we're drinking wine again today. I've got a Malbec. This is a South American Malbec. I've never had it. I haven't even tasted it yet. Is this the first glass then? first glass do you have the bottle saved so that partway through when you finish the glass you can refill i could it's in a different room but if i wanted to i could. Oh, I assumed it would be like under the desk no no it's a fine malbec and i can probably nurse this all the way through the episode could but you don't have to because <laughs> it's weekend out here in the united states this is memorial day weekend so next three days nobody has to work well none of us have to work I'm sure some people do have to work. Yes, because plenty, plenty of people do. Yes. I am fortunate enough I do actually get Monday off as well. Nice. Yep. So, all right, there we go. I'm going uh, to work on a lot of podcast stuff tomorrow. Your mom's mm-hmm. going to go out wine tasting with someone from work. Ooh. And one of the ladies, they're getting together and going to have some social time. And then Sunday, your mother and I are going to go wine tasting again. So she's just going to booze her way through the weekend. So it's a booze cruise. She just got off the cruise cruise. Now it's the booze cruise. <laughs> oh, no, trust me. A cruise cruise is a booze cruise, too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, I look forward to maybe sometime down the road, you and Rachel cruising with us. That I think that fun. would be a great thing. I, yeah. Hit me up when I'm a little bit more financially capable of that. Just yeah. a little bit. Just a little bit. Your mother and I already booked our next cruise. You won't be ready yet. Probably not. Yeah. March. End of March next year. So 
just 10 months away. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but enough about all of that stuff. Yes, people don't why come don't here we, for us. Why don't we dig into our content? Because again, uh, bare minimum time to prep the notes. So I stuck to the essentials. And when I have, you know, other comments for things we might talk about, I literally just have a question mark. So I got <laughs> nothing else to talk about. Let's just talk Wheel of Time. Huh? Yeah? I mean, that's why I'm here. That's I right. like Wheel of Time. Oh, well, let's hold up. I like my dad begrudgingly, but I like the Wheel of Time. So let's talk about the Wheel of Time. Let's talk about the Wheel of Time. Two more chapters today from The Shadow Rising, chapters 32 and 33. We start with 32, of course. Because starting with 33 would just be weird. I mean, we could. Uh, it just would be weird. You're right. You know, there's one spot in the Shadow Rising where that makes sense. But we're past that section. So, no, we're going to go in order. <laughs> Chapter 32 is called Questions to be Asked. And we've jumped ahead just a little bit from where we left off in Chapter 31. Basically, we're at the next morning. Mm-hmm. As Perrin and his companions, his little team, are gearing up to head off to Watch Hill. They're going to scout out the situation at the White Cloak camp. Why? Who's there? Matt's family, the Luhans as well, blacksmiths. Uh, the White Cloaks went in and went, Hey, all you people who we care about related to our main characters besides uh, the Alviers and, you know, the ones we killed, uh, we're going to capture you. Wait, wait, wait. We killed. Does you mean <clears throat> Trollocs killed? Yes, Trollocs killed. Yeah. So let's see what we can do about it. This is what's on Perrin's mind. Job one, rescue some prisoners. Now, who precisely is coming along with Perrin has become a bit complex. How I mean, so? Abel Cawthon, Tamil Thor, they were a given. They're the ones already on the lamb from the White Cloaks. They're the ones who've already been trying to see what can, they can do. So, yeah, they're coming with Perrin. Mm -hmm. But Varen Sedai has decided to come along, too, along with her warder, Tomas. Well, great. Not that she plans officially to help of or to take not. part. She's made that very clear. Don't think I'm going to get, you know, involved. She's just traveling along to observe. That's creepy. Perrin's pretty sure she plans to meddle, though. I mean, that's what I said I do. When Loyal comes along to observe, it's great because he's a good, kind presence writing a book. When Varen comes along to observe, it sucks. She's putting you on the slide and she's doing something. Getting a nice sample to kind of look a little closer under the microscope and maybe even mm. pull some experiments. You don't want to be a part of those. Dissection, anyone? <laughs> Alana Sadai, she's not coming. She thinks this whole plan parents pulling off is stupid. She's going to take no part. Granted, keep in mind, she recently lost one of her two warders killed two white by cloaks. white cloaks. Yeah. I think that's a mm. pretty good reason not to want to come with. What about Fayil? she coming? Fayil can't be kept away. No. So she makes it very clear, I am coming with you. And she actually seems surprised that Perrin doesn't try to talk her out of it. He's taking... Tam and Abel's advice on how to work with women and basically deciding to pick his battles and this is one he's not going to fight because he know he'll just lose it anyways. Which is to say, pick very, very, very few battles. <laughs> Loyal, he's another matter though. Loyal wants to come along and Perrin has insisted he stay behind. You know, they're going on a scouting mission to kind of scope out what's going on with the White Cloaks. 
it's kind of hard for an ogier to hide. Yeah. There's a reason that Gandalf went to the Shire to get the burglar. Uh, he didn't go find some cave troll, some giant. No, he went and found a hobbit. I mean, it could have got an ant. That could have been easy to hide, right? Just act like a tree. Sure. <laughs> That's a lame tree <laughs> imitation. It's a very... I don't know, it's about as good as uh, the trees in most Wizard of Oz productions. Ah, would you know anything about that, Zach? I I wouldn't, nope. Nope. <laughs> I don't think I was ever a tree in Wizard of Oz. You were certainly around them, though. Oh, uh, yeah. No, you played the Scarecrow. You played Correct. Oz. Correct. Were you ever in another one? I think I was only ever in it twice. I was too young the other one. Okay. We digress. Done that show too many times. <laughs> All right, so Ogier, sorry, too big, don't fit the profile, you must stay. Now, the Aiel, they totally can come along, because Aiel don't get seen unless they want to be seen. Even in these wetlands. Yep. So as they head along the way, Perrin is troubled by Varen. I mean, he keeps catching her watching him. And of course, you know, she just decided to come along, gave no real rationale. He can't help feeling like she knows more than she lets on. There's things going on behind those eyes in that brain. Yeah, this is a feeling that's not new. We felt this way with Varen pretty much since we met her. Mm, yeah. He's wondering, does she know about his wolf abilities? Even if she doesn't, does she know about wolf abilities? Is she someone he could actually talk to? Try to get information, like he did with Moraine, and she didn't know that much. Maybe Varen, a brown sister, would know more. But can he really trust her? Probably not. It's all very unsettling to have her just looming over there, not knowing whether he can talk to her or not, whether he should or not. Ugh. Now, as they travel along, he does talk with Tam and Abel, not about wolf stuff, just to get hmm. general pieces of information. And we learn a few things here. Okay, what do we learn? First... Well, they don't really have to worry much about being noticed as they travel mm -hmm. along to Watch Hill. When they get closer to Watch Hill, sure, that's where the White Cloaks are. But along the way, you're not going to really run into much of anybody because people aren't traveling much now. They're staying close to places of safety because there's Trollocs about. Now, when you say places of safety, that's not to say that people are gathered in various towns and taverns but rather they're cloistered around their own homes, their buildings, their farms, their own dwellings and places. Yep. So, sure, some are in town, but people are staying with their families, their four walls and a roof. So there's a main road through the two rivers. They're not on that. And Tam says, you know, as long as we stay off that road, no one's going to see us. And anyone who does see us, they're going to be our people. They're not going to care. They're not going to report us. Mm -hmm. No big deal. I mean, honestly, the main road would potentially be, even be fine. Just occasionally you'd have to hop off it. Better not to take that big of a chance. Now, they mentioned the Trollocs, and Perrin wants a little more information about what's really been happening with the Trollocs. You know, have they attacked Emmons Field yet? And the answer is no. They've been just doing random attacks out on random farms. There have been burnings that have gone on. There have been some deaths. But Emmons Field's been left alone. And honestly, the guys feel like if the Trollocs know what they're doing, they'll leave Emmons Field alone. 
because they're quite real, well prepared for a Trolloc attack. At least they feel like it. I mean, they've had about a year, year and a half to prepare since the last one. And at this point, they're like, eh, we've seen Trollocs. We can put them in a cook pot. They certainly aren't going to get caught unawares now. No. They always have some weapons nearby. They've got bows and, and staffs right by every doorway. You know, if something happens, weapons are close by and they'll be ready to defend themselves. They are no easy meat. How many Trollocs and Mergerl are actually in the Two Rivers? What are we talking about? It's a big and, question. Yeah, Abel and Tam are like, it's hard to pin down. They figure maybe 200 at least, but maybe more, probably more. The Aes Sedai and the Warders claim over time they've killed at least 50, including two Fades. But the torching of farmhouses all over the countryside hasn't slowed. It's still happening. So you have to kind of assume 50 and two fades is still a relatively small portion of their numbers. You'd kind of assume to not slow at all, that's somewhere between a fifth to a tenth to less of their numbers. Yeah, they haven't dinged what the bad guys have been able to do. Perrin questions. Why haven't the Trollocs attacked a town? I mean, if there's so many, potentially... Why not? I mean, okay, Watch Hill, sure, that's where the White Cloaks are. It'd be stupid to go attack white, uh, attack right there next to the White Cloaks. But Emmons Field? There's no White Cloaks actively there all the time. And Devon's Ride on the other side is way away from where the White Cloaks are at Watch Hill. Trollocs could descend on Devon's Ride and wipe it out before the White Cloaks could ever respond. So why? And Tam and Abel, they attribute it to luck. Perrin thinks differently. He figures there's got to be a reason. Luck is not enough. There's got to be an agenda here of why they're not attacking the villages and just keep doing all these little piecemeal things. But he's not really sure either why not. No. Perrin's really just thinking like a Taviran who's been on too many adventures of late and knows there has to be something driving this. There has to be some reason that these chapters are being written. A little too meta? <laughs> a little too meta. <laughs> Varen tosses a thought into the conversation. All this shadow spawn business might be a lure to draw the soldiers of Andor to the two rivers. Perhaps it's the first move in a war. Now, no one likes the sound of that. War is a whole nother level. Mm -hmm. Raids by Trollocs, that's bad enough. But war? Honestly, not that many people like the sound of Andoran soldiers in the two rivers. They might start taxing. Now, in his head, Perrin draws a further conclusion from what Varen says about a lure. Mm -hmm. What would that be? Well, it would be what she probably was hinting at directly to him, which is that it was a trap. Not just for Pandoran soldiers, but for the, the three to Varen, and more importantly, for Rand. Now, this only firms up Perrin's resolve. Whoever is scheming will have to settle for just getting Perrin. He's going to deal with this. Rand mm -hmm. is not going to need to come here. Rand's not going to get caught in some trap. And honestly, Perrin, he doesn't figure to be caught in a trap either. He's going to solve this. Yeah, no, he's in the trap that was for Rand. So no, he could just deal with it. Now they continue on in silence for a time. And they pass some abandoned farms. Not burned farms, just abandoned. They do pass one that is burned to the ground and, and the graves of the family that was buried nearby. But 
why are some farms just abandoned? Speculation? My best guess? One of a couple of things. Most likely, the farm's not viable as an option. Uh, it's not so much that it's horribly unsafe, but rather livestock were killed, plots were ruined, fam can't take care of themselves. They had to go somewhere else. It's possible. I'd lean towards the other thing you said, though. That they're dead? That it's just unsafe. You know, you see Farmer Joe's place down the road just got burned to the ground and everybody's dead. And you go, you know, I'm not going to wait for that to happen here. I'm going to go somewhere else where I feel a little safer. I agree and yet slightly disagree for reasons we'll see later. Okay. Well, where they continue on to gives evidence for what I'm thinking. So let's keep talking here That's for fair. a moment. We'll keep going. Eventually, they do come to a farm that isn't abandoned. It's the Alcine farm. Jack Alcine's place. And Tam and Abel knew they were there. Mm -hmm. uh, they've, they've stopped there before since they've been out wandering. These are friends. And uh, they're a farm that is definitely holding on strong. They also are no friends of the White Cloaks. So Tam figures we can probably rest a little midday here and then continue on with our horses fresh again and make it to Watch Hill before dark. Tam encourages, however, the Aiel. You guys maybe should hang out out here because while we're just a bunch of Two Rivers people and then a few visitors from outside, uh, having Aiel come with us, that might be a little harder to explain and that could get some lips loose. <laughs> that word might spread, even though they mean well. So we don't want to give them reasons to yak and talk. Now, they find the farm full of many more people than Jack Alcine's family. Because he's taken in others who felt endangered elsewhere, and they've come together. I admit, when I read this, my brain went to something that told me, it's not all the abandoned farms, maybe a couple of them here and there, but it's mostly like they all are together. And I freely admit my brain went to grandma and grandpa and the fact that farms and people around, it's like, well, everyone's basically family already. If you're going to con consolidate at one place, you're not really abandoning all the other farms. You just happen to be at this house. Yeah. Nope. There's more to it. And I didn't think about the fact that maybe they're not all related. Maybe this is a multitude of farms. Now, Oops. To, to your credit, one of the groups that's on the Alcine farm is another Alcine family that lived elsewhere and came to stay with Jack. So like one of the people parents sees is Will Alcine, yeah. a young man just a little older than him, but he's not Jack's son. He's Jack's nephew from another gotcha. farm. Okay, so, but it's more than just Alcines here. There's a number of other families that have all come together. This is the one place they decided safety in numbers. It's not like a village, but no. it's a group, a number of families that are all trying to be safer together here. For example, in trying to be safer, as they approach, they're seen by boys, uh, young men who are on sentinel duty. They're up on top of the roofs. Mm -hmm. It's not like there's a compound with a wall. So they're just on top of the buildings so they can see before they would have if they were just on the ground. They're up on these thatch roofs. They've got bow and arrow up there. They could shoot something if they needed to and you know, the two rivers are kind of known for their bow and arrow skills. So that's not just boys with pea shooters. But I want to ask, okay, okay, these are thatch roof buildings. Yeah. So it's thick grass. 
and they're sitting on top of the thatch roofs. That doesn't sound so safe to me. Am I, I misunderstanding mean, a thatch roof? A little? Because it's it's very thick and together. Is it the safest? No. But in I'm thinking my... you could fall through a thatch roof easier than my shingle roof. Sure. But my brain also kind of equates it to sitting on well-placed like bales of hay. Yes, it's grass. Yes, it's put together. It's also a brick. Okay, that's a fair point. Not that I think they have bricks of thatch on their roofs. No, but rather it's that level of kind of woven together and even maybe even started to grow together a little bit as time goes on. And to give them credit, it's the young boys up there. It's not the big heavy men. It's the young boys. They might be lighter. And that's why they're the ones up on the roofs. Could be. Now, a little side issue arises as... They get here at this compound, for lack of a better word. Uh, One of the underlying ongoing matters of the story is the developing relationship between Perrin and Fael. Robert Jordan just throws little things in all through the narrative to demonstrate this as they try to figure each other out. So we've got a humorous moment here when Perrin notes one of the young women in the compound being someone he used to be sweet on who's now clearly married to one of the other guys here, and she's got a baby on her hip. He's like, huh. Well, that's something. I guess I won't be dancing with her anymore. But that makes him turn and look at Fael. And hey, she's eyeing that Will Alcine I referenced a bit before. Will is quite the dandy, sharp looker. And she's like, ogling him, ogling him, ogling him a little bit. And Perrin goes all mildly jealous and protective because Will is also kind of checking Fael out. And he walks over, he does the, hmm, hi, Will, as he puts his arm around Fael, kind of claiming his territory. And Will's like, uh, yeah, hi, hi, Perrin. And then kind of goes somewhere else. <laughs> Fael is both pleased and chiding Perrin a little bit over this. At least that's the way I read it. It's like, really? You didn't need to do that. And see, Perrin still can't figure Fayil out. So moving just for a moment away from the more interesting content of relationships. No, I'm not sure that that was the more interesting part. It just is what it is. I dove into thatched roofs for a moment. Did you not? Because I'm... I'm really curious, and I wanted to go on this tangent. Let's go down the thatch rabbit hole. Yes, let's do it. First off, the first link I found started teaching me way more than I needed to, including pretty intense physics equations on how to construct durable thatched roofing. Weird thing. Don't want to worry about that. Maybe I'll build something at some point. Are you now inspired? You want a thatch roof of your own? It does, however, in another spot, say that thatch is one of the strongest types of roofs, very possibly stronger than tiles or slate roofs. Really? However, walking around on it can damage it and make it less sturdy. So you can walk on it. It advises don't do it. And then it brings (laughs) up a good point that I didn't think of, but is a really good point. The two rivers get snow. Yes. Yes, they do. And while the wet of it melting and all that mess makes a lot of the thatched roofs 
less viable, and that's why Senbui is refetching roofs when we see him, like, for the first time. Okay. They have to hold up to a lot of weight through the winter. I think they're fine with a couple of boys walking around. <laughs> I think they're fine. Although that snow is distributed weight. It's still Just a like lot a of person weight. walking on ice may fall through, but snow yeah. atop of it has nothing to worry about. I'm going to advise don't go jumping in one spot over and over, <laughs> but you're probably fine to walk around or even like lay down. So you are distributing your weight a little. Okay. Our public service announcement on thatch roofs brought to you by Zach Scribb. Just saying, we don't know enough about thatching to really say they shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> So, Perrin, something else he's noting now as everyone's greeting everyone as we've come together is that when they see Perrin and they see his golden eyes, they react, they twitch a little, but no one's going overboard. No. He said other people be very uncomfortable with him with these glowing golden eyes, but really here nobody says anything. I mean, his eyes are changed. So what? They know Perrin. So it and doesn't seem to make much difference. Even if they don't know him that well, Two Rivers people are kind of like, golden eyes, eh? Well, That's I guess different. things are different. <laughs> now, Perrin may be known to all these people, but Fayil, Varen, and Tomas, that's another matter. They're creating a bit of a buzz. Remember, the Two Rivers, pretty cut off from places. They don't get a lot of genuine visitors. So mm -hmm. anyone from afar is somewhat exotic. I mean, except white cloaks. They just suck. Yeah. To these simple country folk, therefore, Fail, Varen, Tomas, seem like noble lords and ladies. They have fancy clothes. They're dressed finer than they're used to, right? Those fancy clothes. And the people are practically fawning over them. Perrin is internally amused to see them treating Fail like this, like some noble-born lady. Though he does note she seems to gracefully take it in stride. He th even thinks to himself, she can pull off the noble lady act quite mm -hmm. well when she wants to. It's almost like she was born to it, actually. Hmm. Odd that. The people here let the three outsiders know, you know, you guys are welcome to stay as long as you'd like. But really, you'd best be gone from the two rivers as soon as possible due to the Trollocs. And, and even the issues caused by the White Cloaks. It's just not good to be here right now. Mm. Mm. But eventually we get to the crux of the conversation. These people, they've heard the rumors and stories about Perrin, Matt, and Rand being dark friends. And while Jack Elsine comes out and says very clearly, Perrin, no one here believes it. Mm -hmm. but, sure. but we do want to know... Why these rumors are being spread? Why are the White Cloaks saying this about you? Perrin answers their concerns, in my opinion, masterfully. He notes off right away, you know, the White Cloaks don't need much of an excuse to call someone a dark friend. If you don't hop when they say jump, you must be a dark friend. But in this case, I mean, I did kill some White Cloaks. It wasn't dark friendy, but I did kill them. Yeah, I mean, to explain, they killed one of my friends... And they were coming at me. So I didn't really see another choice. And so they ended up dead instead of me. He does not elaborate that one of his friends that was murdered was a wolf. Nah, that would just be another can of worms right now. 
Now, the people actually seem to understand. It's like, yeah, okay, it's you or the White Cloaks. It makes sense you decided not to let them kill you. Yeah, it's basically self-defense. It also helps a little bit that Varen chimes in. You know, the White Cloaks, one thing they are really good at is turning good people against their neighbors. They like to spread suspicion and doubt, and everybody's kind of like, oh, yeah, 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 you're right. Then Perrin brings up having heard that Padden Fane, the peddler, is with the White Cloaks. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's out there. He's with them now, Perrin says. You know, Fane, and I know he's going by another name now, Ordeeth. Yeah, he is a dark friend. Mm-hmm. I heard it from his own mouth. He's a dark friend, and he's working with the White Cloaks. When did that happen, Zach? Do you remember when? If I remember correctly, it was technically in the Eye of the World in Faldara. I do yes. believe it was Faldara. Yeah. But I couldn't recall if it was before or after the events at the end of the Eye of the World. Yeah, it was before. And he, he admitted it right out. So there we go. Now, one of the people, they take issue with Perrin now calling someone else a dark friend. He's like... Oh, yeah. Easier for you to call someone a dark friend. I mean, they called you a dark friend. Now you're calling them a dark friend. But that guy gets shouted down. It's like, who are we going to believe? Really? The person who just walked in and said, this person you've known all your life is a dark friend? Or the person we've known all our life who comes in and says, hey, these people who are turning all of us against each other and making us live in fear? Yeah, they're not good. That's right. And then Perrin is given clear and definitive words that he has their support. He can stay safely. He is welcome. Perrin's kind of moved by this show of kindness and and understanding. But he notes he has things he needs to do. So thank you, but I can't stay. And they seem to understand that too. Although the the woman of the house, Mrs. Alcine, she says, you know, well, Try not to get hurt while doing whatever you need to do then, please. No promises. And with that, it's time for a meal. Of course it is. We're in the two rivers. We eat the midday meal. It's basically the Shire. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't second breakfast, though. This is definitely midday meal. This is a 11 They get out the tables. They spread the food. They break bread together. And as the meal is drawing to an end, one of the boys on sentry duty comes bounding in to announce, Lord Luke is here! Lord Luke is here! Yay! End of chapter. Our final chapter, number 33, is a new weave in the pattern. I'm so excited to meet Lord Luke. Yeah, right on the heels of that boy announcing him, Lord Luke wanders in. Perrin is struck by his arrogant attitude his lordliness, his grand manners, and instantly he can't stand it. Yeah, I'm very curious what your first impressions of Lord Luke were in this moment, because my brain went, if this man is noble, he is a classic politician. If he's not, he may just be a charlatan who's really good at it. He's slimy in a pretty way. I got the essence right away. Arrogant, noble lord who sucks. That, that's just how I picked up on it. So, you know, we, we identify with Perrin. So Perrin feels this way, we feel this way. The reaction of the Alcine people, though, this whole farm, it's very different from how Perrin is feeling. They immediately begin fawning over this guy now, all bows and curtsies, how honored, and all that. 
Parents practically embarrassed seeing such behavior out of two rivers folk. I mean, come on, we don't have lords. What is this? What are you doing? Get yourselves together. But Lord Luke, he just seems to take it all as his due. Like, yes, yes, my little people. If anything, he seems a little bored by it all. It's like, uh... Notably, there is a difference, and maybe it's just parents' bias, but he does note a difference between how Lord Luke took it all and how Fayil kind of seemed to take it a little graciously, being like, oh, it looks so, kind of almost natural. And then we look over to Lord Luke and it's like, oh, he doesn't seem to care. No, that's a good parallel. Thank you for pointing that out. Eventually, Perrin's group is introduced to Lord Luke one at a time. And while Jack and Elisa, Jack's wife. I'm glad you wrote her name down because I was really worried that you didn't. <laughs> and we're going to keep calling her Mrs. Alcine. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Again, tough time getting the notes done but okay there there's the name and notice i got jack elsine again and again because it kept trying to autocorrect to jan so jan else oh now no. i really wish it said jack. jan no jack okay but i they identify lord luke as the man who's been advising them on how to defend themselves against the trollocs who's encouraged them to stand up to the white cloaks and who's generally urged them just to stand up for themselves. So they really feel highly about him. That really does all sound like good things. Sounds like it. Things get a little more interesting as Lord Luke is directly introduced to each person. So when he's introduced to Varen, Perrin sees a physical reaction. And he can tell, oh, Lord Luke knows that's an eyes to die. Mm -hmm. Not only that... He isn't happy to find an Aes Sedai here. You know, I'm starting to think maybe there's something to the... Is Lord Luke from Tyr? <laughs> Varen questions where he is from. He's been introduced as Lord Luke of Chiendelna. Chiendelna? I don't know how to pronounce it. Chiendelda. Anyways, she comments on that kind of having a borderland sound. And Luke replies, oh, oh no, no, no. It, it's actually a rather minor but old house in Murindy. Nowhere near the borderland. All right, break out the map. It's behind you. Where's Murindy? I know they have good wine, but where is it? South of Andor. So the borderlands are north of Andor. This is south of Andor. They okay. do share a border. So we've got Andor. From the two rivers, we're talking southeast. Two... I got to do it in the way that works for the camera. South uh, of Andor is Gildan. Two rivers is here. So you got two rivers. Gildan's here. You got Andor, Gildan, Mirandy. Mirandy? And then below Mirandy, Ilian. And then and over there to is the side Tyr. is Tyr. Cool. Under Gildan is Ebudar. So it's uh, between Andor and Ilian kind of thing. Yes. Cool. Yep. Not having the map with me right now, that helped. I'm sure yeah. it just was a it's mess right, confusing it, for it, other people. It's right there. Especially those listening. Right there. Well, I mean, I I can see it, but I can't see detail. I'm not wearing my glasses. Oh, that's right. Luke notes Tomas as well. And Perrin's sure he knows, well, that's got to be Varen's warder. But he barely acknowledges Tomas. Like, he's he's not even there. He does move over to Fayil, and he gives her a very warm greeting. Perhaps a bit too warm and personal, kind of giving her the eyes. And Okay, do you think this is just Perrin being unreliable narrator, that, that jealousy factor creeping in again? Or is Lord Luke literally getting his creep on? What did you think? Lord Luke does seem 
to pay a little bit of extra attention. However, Fail then does actually encourage it. And so I think Lord Luke does kind of go further than he should, especially in terms of Perrin's comfort. So like Perrin may be a little more jealous about this than other times, but he does have a certain reason to here. The interaction does go further than might be appropriate on a first meeting. Now, Lord Luke isn't really into Fael. He does his little bit with her and then he moves on and she's kind of like, ah, what? It seems to be more about Lord Luke. The fact it's that all he about can. Lord Luke. It's about him. And then he sees Perrin and oh, now we see something different because he literally starts in shock. Oh, he tries to cover it, but Perrin would swear Lord Luke is afraid of him. Mm-hmm. And not because of his golden eyes. Mm-mm. Something like he recognized him and now he's uncomfortable. He had this weird small reaction to an eyes that eye, but he looks at Perrin's face and he was almost afraid. Yeah. What's up? Perrin is, is sure they've never met before. I mean, why would he have this kind of reaction to me? An interchange then occurs between Perrin, the people of the farm, and Lord Luke. Where the people, they're lifting up and praise the guidance that Lord Luke has given them. While Perrin just sits there and pokes holes in everything. He's Mm -hmm. like, really? Is that really that great of advice? I mean, think about it. The final evidence is this. All Lord Luke has guided them to has left them stuck in a holding pattern. Mm. Nothing that's really getting them out of their situation. So they're not really as safe as they think. No. Lord Luke has taken more credit than he's earned. He's their savior. He has so helped them. And Perrin's like, he hasn't really helped you. He's just kind of told you, don't do anything. Stay here. Watch. He's taught you how to hold in a house and maybe take down a trollic if they all come swarming at you and then die inside your house. None of his advice solves any of the problems you have right now. That's Perrin's point. If the problems of the Trollocs and the White Cloaks are going to get resolved, it's going to take some action, not hiding in your farms like this. Now, they are safer than they would be without his advice, but they're not becoming a safer two rivers. Now, Perrin, he intends to do something about this. And when they ask, well, what would you suggest then, Perrin? You know, if, if Lord Luke's advice is not what we should be doing, what do you say? So Perrin speaks his mind. I mean, they asked his advice abandon the farms take all your stuff including your livestock and go to emmons field gather everybody inside the town where you're stronger together and could actually be able to deal with trollocs and you won't have to kowtow to the white cloaks you can stand on your own as a village of people not a little group of farms how does that suggestion go over zach like a sack of cow dung at first for sure. But is that where it stays? No. There's some interesting back and forth and some very inspiring words said here and there by Perrin. Not necessarily further great arguments, but just really appealing to the people. Uh, it's yeah. a real pathos argument throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Perrin does not tell them what they should do. They asked his advice. He gave what he thought made more sense. They react like, oh, we can't do that. That would be horrible. And then basically go on to talk themselves into taking parents' advice. Which works out. <laughs> so in the end, he's completely swayed the room without vehemently arguing to push them to make a decision. 
Mm-hmm. So the next thing we know, everyone's getting busy now to leave. And Varen, she comes up to where Perrin and Fael are standing there. And she notes how impressed she is, having seen it work so powerfully. What is she talking about? Tevirin. Yeah, yeah. As she sees it, these people were firmly entrenched and not going anywhere. They're following Lord Luke's advice. It's the best thing they can do. All he does is make one random comment. What he thinks might be a better thing. And next thing you know, these people have completely changed their mind. And they're going to Emmons Field. Mm-hmm. Now, stubborn as a wool herder, you know, remember these comments about Two Rivers folk? Oh, yeah. Had anyone else said these things? No. Yeah, Tam and Abel even comment on, you know, they'd made suggestions on other things you might try. And no, 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 but it, don't tell us what to do. Perrin just walks in the room, says, you might want to do this instead. And boom, they're all going. Yeah, she's like, that's Tavarin. It's the new beard. It's a power move. Perrin still wants to just dismiss all this Tavarin business as nonsense. It's like, I just gave common sense advice and they see it. They see it makes sense. That's all it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. Now, flowing right out of this conversation, Varen pulls a fast one. It's very eyes to die. And she drops this non-sequitur question. Rand does have the sword, I take it. No prelude. It just drops it in there. And knowing what Varen knows about Rand, Perrin sees no point in ducking the question, so he confirms it. Yep. And Varen jumps right to another point. Watch yourself with Alana, Perrin. What? <laughs> Why? And Varen... Simply goes on to explain, I Sedai have many plots and plans, and, and while most of them are fairly benevolent, someone like a Taviran could very easily be someone an I Sedai might want to, you know, put some strings on, suck into their plans. At which point, Perrin's going, okay, um, so what are your plots and plans that you're <laughs> sucking me into? I don't, mm-mm, mm-hmm. I don't like this. Indeed. Now, as Varen leaves them, Fayul and Perrin, they have another one of those awkward personal conversations that honestly reminds me of TV shows on the WB. <laughs> Again, Robert Jordan, he's trying to show them growing this relationship, but there are many who feel Robert Jordan doesn't do relationships real well, and this awkwardness, I mean, it's cute, whatever, but it's awkward. Outside, then, Perrin and his group, they head off. Four of the older boys of the farm group decide to travel along with Perrin instead of going to Emmons Field with everybody else. These four boys are all just a tad older than he. Uh, Will Alcine is one of them and mm-hmm. his cousin Ban, as well as Tell and Daniel Lewin. Daniel Lewin. Now, Jack Alcine, he asks Perrin to look after the boys. Perrin finds that a little odd. I mean, again, they're all a little older than he is. So why ask and him? And let's add in Tam and Abel are there too. Yeah. And an Aes so, Sedai. I mean, sure, you so, wouldn't ask it of an Aes Sedai, but... So why does Jack ask Perrin? Because he sees Perrin as the authority figure here. He sees the one as him as the one he listened to, the one with the plan, the one in charge. Yeah, that's what it's really indicating. We'll come back to that in a few moments. Now, Perrin, he actually tried to talk the boys out of coming. I mean, their heads are filled with Gleeman's tales and visions of Lord Luke and what they know they can do. And it's all going to be fun and games. Easy success. We're so excited to go. It's an adventure. 
Yeah. So the best parent can promise Jack is I will take care of them the best I can. Now it almost goes south completely, just a mile from the farm, when Gaul, Bane, and Chiad appear from nowhere, and the boys are like knocking their arrows, and so the Aiul are veiling and grabbing their spears. Yeah. Perrin straightens things out, no blood is shed. Granted, when we say no blood is shed, we mean none of the Alcine or Lewin boys are dead, because they're good with their bows, probably. The Aiul would have slaughtered them. Yeah, the Aiul will never at risk. And so when it's explained what just almost happened and stuff, the Aiel are laughing. They're like, oh, that, that was funny. Uh, the, the two rivers guys, not, not no. so easy. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Although Will starts kind of mo- putting the moves on with Bane and Chiad already. Oh, women. Yeah. And they, Go this ahead is funny. And play Maiden's pa- kiss. Parents sees Bane and Chiad look at each other and nod and smile and he's like oh boy will's in trouble mm-hmm. <laughs> well the plan from here was to head straight to watch hill and so that's what they do but along the way perrin keeps seeing other farms where there are people and he just can't help himself he diverts each time they come to one of these farms and and the first time tam's like what are you doing son he's like uh, just feels right. I want to give them the same information that we gave the Alcine farm. That's all. I mean, they should they should hear and have the same chance have to a make chance. a better decision. And time and again, two things happen. One, these stubborn Two Rivers people totally take his advice and start packing up. And two, some of the young men at these farms join Perrin's band. Which really means one thing happened. The Taviran thing. Taviran... As the group of young men grows, they start bragging at each other, joshing each other, and then even start arguing over who's more important, who's in charge. We were here first, and being what stupid young men can be like. It gets a bit unruly, and Perrin ends up rounding on them, applies some structure, whips them into shape. And it works. They just fall in line. And there's Varen... Noting this again with that knowing nod to Viren. <laughs> As they finally get close to Watch Hill, Tam's like, okay, Perrin, we need to stop visiting at the farms now. And Perrin's like, okay, okay, yep, that makes sense. So a little sneakier now. And just before they're in sight of the camp, they stop. And Perrin gives orders to the group to stay here, stay quiet. If anybody's out of line, I'm going to bash you up the head. Just, and we few are going to sneak ahead. Now, his manner, his tone, his words, they're so forceful, and they they command obedience. Fayul actually turns to him, have you ever been a soldier? She even drops a curious line. Some of my father's uh, guards talk that way. Parents, parents thinking a few things here and there, because she keeps talking about her dad, and... Talking about grain and things and like merchant things and like now guard thing. What's up with your dad? Yeah, there may be more about your dad than you've told me. Hmm. But of course, Perrin says, ah, no, I've not been a soldier. He's just channeling his inner Uno. Mm-hmm. He's been around soldiers. Yep. Now, Perrin, Fayil, 
Tam and Abel, and then Varen and Tomas. Those six creep up to get a view of the camp. And they see, laid out in front of them, the straight, orderly, white-cloaked tents of the large camp. And then off to the side, they see a few other tents, very slovenly, unkempt, dirty, leaning a little. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he doesn't know who they are. Those can't be white cloaks. They are. Yeah. Who? What? What's with those, Zach? They're Fane's white cloaks. Yeah. And then Tam points out a tent in the center of the ordered camp. He said, that's where the prisoners are. They're, they can see one guard from here. He says, it's impossible to sneak them out from there. They're too well protected. And he even says, you know, Abel and I have tried three different times to sneak into the camp to get to them. And each time we've had to flee, we've almost been discovered. We could not make it to the center. Now, there's an odd side comment here. Tam and Abel take a moment to compliment Perrin's ability as he took charge back at Jack Alcine's place. Tam says, this isn't the first time I followed a younger man who could see what had to be done. You know, I'd love to hear that story, Tam. Yeah, Abel even says, you're doing a good job, Perrin. Basically, they approve. They're saying, yeah. you're in charge and keep it up. This is right. Perrin's a little baffled. It's like, when did I take charge? I didn't take charge. I've just said what needed to be said. And Varen in the background is going, What she literally says is, hmm, interesting, and jots something down in her little notebook that she has with her. And then she comments, you know, Rand may be changing the world, but you're definitely having an effect. I'm interested in seeing what you'll do next. Great. You're on her radar. Now, what comes next is a wait until dark, and then Perrin, Fael, and the three Aiel sneak mm -hmm. into the camp under the cover of darkness. He he tells Varen, you know, Tomas could be helpful coming along. And she's like, no, nope, I have other plans for him. I told you, I'm not going to help you. But, you know, there may be other ways I take actions that might prove useful. But nothing here right now. So is, these five sneak in. Is it not till later that she mentions a thing that later might be happening? Later. End of chapter. Okay. Later. Actually, I think it might be the beginning of the next chapter. No, I think it's end of this chapter. Okay, it's coming. I just, I don't see it in your notes. It's it's not there. Okay. Yeah, this was literally when I had like three minutes left to finish okay. before I get you the notes. So this paragraph could have easily been like five paragraphs here. That's I've really done sick notes here. So they sneak into the camp. Perrin is jumped by one of the white cloaks that he doesn't see. And Fayil saves his bacon by clobbering the guy with a big log. She's like, he didn't even think I was worth bothering with. I showed him. He's like, yes, you did. Thank you, dear. And they go a little further. And then another one's going to hit him with a lance and suddenly goes stiff and dies as Gaul from behind stabbed him with a dagger. So Perrin's like, okay, I'm leading these guys and I'm doing a really sucky job. They're Look, all saving me. Leading isn't being the active person. Sometimes you don't have to be the main character to be the main character, bud. Perhaps Perrin is learning this about leadership. They do make it to the center where that tent camp is. They've gotten rid of the guard. They get them out. And 
Now they're sneaking them out. They even grab some white cloaks off of the ones that they've taken care of, you know, Mm -hmm. try to disguise a little. And all they do is make it to where the horses are picketed. Because no one's really guarding the horses. They're guarding the outside of the camp. The horses are safe inside the camp. So they can get to the horses. They get all the prisoners up on the horses. They get up on the horses. And Perrin's like, okay, we're going to go carefully here. And then there's a horn, an alarm. Basically, it's been discovered they're out. They found the one, one of the ones that was down. And Perrin's like, ride, ride for your lives. <laughs> and so they just go blaring out on the horses. They blaze past the, the guards. They get out to where the rest of the people are, where following orders that he laid out, they're all on horseback ready to go. Mm-hmm. So bam, they get and they go. And they ride away from the camp. They get a little further away. And then Perrin pulls them all up and says, okay, you, 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 take the prisoners and get them to that safe place. So he's sending Abel, Tam, to take them to where those guys know there's a safe place to hide. He also mm-hmm. sends the Aiel with them and Fahil. Specifically, he sends Gaul and Fahil. Which means he sends Bane and Shiad. And Fahil doesn't argue. And Perrin's nope. almost shocked that she doesn't argue. But go, get these people to safety. Then Perrin takes the rest of the guys, and they're going to go the other way, making lots of noise to draw off the white cloaks so the prisoners can get away. Varen and Tomas, he's like, anything you can do here? And she's like, well, you know, we have other, I have other things, but I can't, you do know, anything, if it but... happens to start perhaps raining within, like... say, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes, <laughs> that might be helpful to you. It could turn into a bit of a downpour. I think I see some clouds. Yeah. And so they split part, they part ways. Basically, Perrin's got all the young boys with him, the young men. And they've drawn off the white cloaks, and they they stay ahead of the white cloaks. They get far enough away, the horns have faded into the distance. I see you want to say something. I do just want to notably mention that Perrin doesn't force any of these boys to do this. He does take a moment to say, hey, this is going to be stupid and dangerous. Any of you that don't want to come can, can go with them. And some of them look like maybe, but for the most part, they're like, nah, nah, nah. And they look at each other and they're like, we got this. He gives them a chance. And off they go. And uh, as they have finally escaped, basically, the white cloaks, they all turn to Perrin. So what now? And he's like, trollic hunting. And off they go. It's time to kill some Trollocs. End of chapter. End of episode. Except for the spoiler room that will be coming up shortly. But uh, once again, if you are a first time reader of the Wheel of Time, this is where you jump out. You don't want to stick around. But I do want to point you to the show notes. Make sure you look for the ways that you can connect with us. If you enjoyed this episode and you think, hey, I might want to talk to Jim and Zach a little more. Come find us on Discord. The invite is down there. Find us on social media, especially Twitter. That's where we're most active. We're kind of on Facebook, and we pop some things on Instagram from time to time. But Twitter is our place. But Discord is the best. whole bunch mm-hmm. of people are with us there, chatting about Wheel of Time, other fantasy, other sci-fi, cats and dogs, doing all sorts of mayhem. So come find us. Come join us. And we also have a link down to our merch shop where you could get some fantasy for the ages bling. 
and where you can support us on Patreon if you'd like to. And that's where you could even uh, get some extra benefits of being a Fantasy for the Ages supporter. So look for all that stuff down there and then leave now because we don't want to spoil the Wheel of Bye. Time for you. Stay spoiler free if that's your thing. The Spoiler Room. The Spoiler Room. Twice. Wow. I figure we should just go all in this spoils? time, man. Do we get two spoils this time? I heard <laughs> it twice. No. No, no, no. But, yes, if you're new to this, you don't know. So we'll tell you. We're going to roll to see who gets to go first. And we're going to each full spoil one thing that was said in today's episode. Here we go. I think oh, you're probably man. going first. I don't have my glasses on. What is that? That is a. Uh, I is could a... read mine. Mine's a nine. I got a nine. Oh, we got to roll again. You got a nine? I did. Okay, rolling again. Oh, that didn't help. What'd you I get? I got a two. I got a seven, so I, at least I go first. It's not good. It's just better <laughs> than yours. <laughs> okay. What do you want to spoil, Zach? Uh, I want to talk about Lord Luke a little bit. That's the easy one. That's the go-to. It is the easy one. Uh, this is the first time we really meet him. We've seen talked about him before. And it's technically not the first time we meet him. No. Lord Luke is Slayer. Whole thing. The exact process is a little mysterious. But Lord Luke is two people. And one of them is like Lan's cousin. And one of them's like Rand's uncle. And they both got smashed into one person who's super evil and can go into the wolf dream and does bad things, but currently here is doing good bad things? I'll admit, it's spoilery. I'm talking all these things. I want your opinion. What in the world is Luke actually trying to do in the Two Rivers right now? Like, why is he here? Really? Fair question. We see Are you bits asking and pieces. Me? Yeah, sure. We <laughs> see bits and pieces, and it seems to make sense that Lord Luke is the one bringing the Trollocs actually to the Two Rivers. It is something separate from Fane. He's bringing them through the Waygates. Yes. But is that all he's doing? He's he's just being a ferryman. I feel like that's underutilizing him and his skill. So, like, why is he here? Was this just a simple way to introduce us to him in the first place? I have a theory. Okay. Uh, my theory goes back a little bit. I believe Lord Luke may have been one of the people at the Dark Friends Social. Okay. So he had that mission, has that mission to get Rand, Matt, and Perrin. He's in the two rivers because he knows that's where they're from. And he's trying to draw them back in. He has the same purpose that Ordeeth has, but they're not working on the same team. So where Ordeeth with the White Cloaks are trying to do stuff to lure them in, he's brought the Trollocs for the same reason. Try to lure them in. And his reaction to Perrin as Lord Luke is tied to that. It's him! That's one of the ones! Not that he'd seen him in the dream, because Slayer saw him in the dream. Lord Luke did not. Yes, same person, but separate personalities. So I think it's possible he recognizes him from the original mission, 
not from seeing him as Slayer. I don't know that I agree as much how much these personalities and experiences are fully separate. I will. I like your dark friend social thought. I'm going to attack a step further. He had kind of an initial do this thing, but it wasn't like a targeted bring Trollocs to the two rivers trap. He had an initial vague idea. And then Ishii got deaded. So with Ishii dead, he goes, okay, so I just make up the plan? Mm-hmm. And this is him making up the plan. Now, I wasn't prepared for this particular conversation, but my memory is saying we learn much later what he was doing here. That it actually... is clarified. I think all the way in Towers of Midnight, I we know get that section. It might even be in the final book, in Memory of Light, where we get him at the town. Yeah, I know. And he's thinking back to all he was doing. And I think we learn what he was doing here. We see and hear about some of the like assassinations that he did at different times and places. And we're like, oh, that was Slayer. And it's really cool to find out. I didn't remember if we ever find out really about this. We probably do. I and I'm going to have to go read that after this. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not crystal clear on that right now. But I think so. My lack okay. of knowledge is showing. Someone come find us on Discord and tell me. This, yeah, please. I mean, this stuff is so comprehensive that, you know, unless we've prepared, it's easy for us to not be able to draw every last little nugget out of our memory. Especially cells. the longer it takes yeah, us to Feel get free, people. This. Tell us in Discord what we should have known. We love to have you add to our knowledge. Okay, my turn. Mine is a much shorter spoil. Okay. It's like, like it's going to be addressed the next time we see these guys around. Uh, in our next chapter, we're jumping to a different point of view, different area, but we'll come back to the two rivers eventually. Mm-hmm. And when Jack Alcine talks to Perrin, says, take care of the boys. And Perrin, not, you know, why is he asking me? But he does say, I'll do the best that I can. This is something that ends up hitting Perrin really hard. This is a sad spoil. He's going to lose one of these boys. He's going to lose a couple, I think. Yeah, he loses but one, one of those original four, he's going to lose. And he takes it really hard because it's not just him being a leader and people fall in battle. He, he told him, I will do the best I can. And then he feels like he fell short of doing the best he could. He didn't bring them back. And this leads Perrin. It's this like starts parent on a spiral of self-deprecation and always I'm not good enough. I'm not able to be who they want me to be. I will fail them that he won't break through fully until like the gathering storm. I mean, it's going to take him a long time to get to a place where he can sleep. Now, that being said, I do just want to throw out that there are a couple even from that initial group that are still with him in the gathering storm. Oh, yes. Oh, in, yes. In very big, prominent I mean, Will Alcine is like a right-hand man for him way out well, then. And Daniel Lewin, too. But Ban, I believe, is one who dies very shortly. Dies, yeah. And Daniel's brother, I don't think, makes it very long either. It makes it remember. longer than that, but he doesn't make it to the end. It's tough, man. It's tough. All right. That's mine. On that somber note... <laughs> let's play our outro music <laughs> so so happy a time like this yeah. we just talked about people dying it happens it happens uh zach as always good to spend some time with you always is good to talk yeah. about wheel of time yeah 
And sometimes we talk about other things. I'm excited to talk about other things, uh, especially talking about Mistborn soon. I'm going to keep teasing it. That's right. And other books we've been reading. I've started The Summer Tree from the Fionavar Tapestry. It's going great. Did you finish Broken Earth yet? Uh, No. Okay, back to reading. Talk to you (laughs) next time, everyone.